0: Welcome back to Unfuck the Film Industry, a podcast about solving the issues within the Australian film sector. Last week I got an email from someone who listened to the first episode. They said they wanted to know more about me and why I'm doing this. I didn't really want to make this podcast about me. I wanted it to be about the issues and how we can solve them. But I guess it kind of makes sense that you may want to know more about my backstory and what my motivations are. I mean, what sort of lunatic hits the self-destruct button on his film career by launching a movement called Unfuck the Film Industry? Upfront, there are probably a couple of things worth knowing about yours truly. In addition to being a filmmaker, I've worked as a journalist, and I've been a policy analyst for the Victorian government. I also have a legal background. So I know a thing or two about how laws and governments work. I've recently realised that the thing that I'm most passionate about is precipitating positive change. When I see something that's broken, I can't help myself. I want to fix it. So I want to bring all of my knowledge and experience to the task of unfucking the film industry. But to really understand why I'm doing this, you kind of have to understand my journey as a filmmaker. So I've decided I am going to tell my story, and it's a story I'm going to tell you in two short parts. Along the way, I'm going to touch on some really important issues that I'll come back to in future episodes. Things like funding policies, distribution, licensing, copyright, and privilege. These are all things that affect our ability to make films, bring them to audiences, and make a living from doing so. All right, so I'm going to take you back to the early 2000s, which is when my journey as a filmmaker began. I was young and I was optimistic, and of a generation that was told you can achieve anything you put your mind to. For me, that was documentary making. I devoured everything I could put my hands on, from Werner Herzog to to Michael Moore. I loved the medium. I'd found something that I thought I wanted to do for the rest of my life. So I began seeking out the advice of established documentary makers. There was one at the university I worked at, so I asked him how to make a living as a documentary maker. He told me to get a job as a doctor or a lawyer and make films in my spare time. Every documentary maker or producer I spoke to had a certain gloominess to them. Times have changed, they said. There's no money, and broadcasters don't commission from independent filmmakers anymore. But I wasn't going to be deterred. I'd found something that I thought would bring meaning to my life. I wanted to tell real stories that bring the truth into the light and make people think. I was on the periphery of student politics when I was at university. It's a fascinating microcosm, because if you watch closely, you can observe aspiring politicians cut their teeth as they learn how to clamber their way to power. So I chose a student election as the subject for my first film. I had absolutely no idea what I was doing. I just borrowed a friend's handicam and started filming. I'd taken Do you go to the basement toilets as well? Your house? You really really want this recorded? Do I want what recorded? What you're saying, because you're sounding like quite a silly person at the moment. Well, you're stalking me around a very dark campus. In hindsight, I kind of wish it had been my second film. The material was incredible, but I was too inexperienced to do it justice. I promised myself I'd do it properly next time. I enrolled in a postgraduate degree in film and television, but I dropped out pretty quickly. It's not that I wasn't learning anything. I guess it just kind of fell short of my expectations. I wound up getting a job in the Victorian Public Service as a policy wonk. Now that I'd become a salary earner, my father started lecturing me about saving up for a house. I told him that if I ever earned enough money to buy a house, I'd piss it all up the wall on making a film. Now, before I move on to the next bit of the story, I'd like to clarify a couple of things. I let a friend of mine listen to the first cut of this episode, and they observed that I sounded like a privileged white guy. Well, it's kind of true. I am privileged. But I'm not white. In the 1970s, my parents migrated to Australia to escape racism in apartheid South Africa. I grew up in the outer suburbs of Melbourne in an average house, on an average street, in an average suburb. And I went to a pretty average government school. It could be pretty rough at times, but I got through okay. I was a relatively smart kid, and I had some good teachers. I also had parents who cared about my education. I got some good grades, and ended up getting a law degree. This, in turn, helped me obtain economic privilege. This is important because becoming a filmmaker, particularly an independent one, is very, very difficult unless you are privileged. Now, the government loves talking about diversity in the film industry, but until the film industry becomes more open to people who aren't privileged, they aren't really going to succeed in achieving diversity. I'm hoping to talk more about this in a future episode. Anyway. Back to the story. One day I got an offer I couldn't refuse. A lucrative gig as a consultant in policy and regulation. The money started rolling in. All I needed was the right topic and I could have another crack at making a documentary film. This time with a professional crew and equipment. Nothing was going to stop me. One day, I stumbled across a ripping yarn about the Australian Prime Minister getting trapped in the bowels of a lecture theatre during a protest at Melbourne's Monash Uni. Up to 1,000 demonstrators at Melbourne's Monash University today kept the Prime Minister a virtual prisoner in one of the university buildings. (laughs) Legend has it, he was seeking refuge in the Dunnies. That Prime Minister... Was Malcolm Fraser. It was August 1976 and Fraser had been PM for less than a year. Mr Fraser, what are the first public things that the people of Australia will notice about your government? Well, I think they'll notice that when the government's announced, which uh, will be before Christmas. Can you tell us how soon before Christmas, sir? Well, it's not very long to Christmas. Um, it'll be before Christmas. He rose to power after precipitating a constitutional crisis that caused the British Crown to sack Labour's Gough Whitlam. Fraser, who came from the Conservative side of politics, was appointed in Whitlam's place. Today's events are without a doubt the most unexpected and probably the most dramatic, the most dramatic in the history of this country's 75 colourful years since Federation. Well may we say, God save the Queen. (laughs) The proclamation which you have just heard read by the Governor-General's official secretary was countersigned Malcolm Fraser. Some actually reckon the whole thing brought Australia to the brink of civil war. But students had other reasons to despise Fraser. In a previous government, he'd been Minister for the Army when an 18-year-old could be conscripted against their will to fight in the jungles of Vietnam. And now, as PM, he was making cuts to health, education and social welfare programs. This was the first time he had set foot on a university campus as PM, and the students at this particular campus were some of the most militant in the country. We were told, if we go on that campus, we're going to be lucky to get out of there alive. And he said, I don't care, I'm going. He was on our turf and we had him. I thought it sounded like a great hook for a doco. All I needed to do was find some of the people involved and get them to sit down for an interview. In 2011, I attended the launch of a book by a recently retired politician by the name of Lindsay Tanner, who'd been a powerful figure. "'in the Rudd-Gillard Labor Government. "'I bought a copy of the book "'and queued up for him to sign it. "'When I reached the front of the line, "'I had a small window of opportunity "'to ask him a question. "'Mr Tanner, have you heard the story "'about Malcolm Fraser getting locked up at Monash Uni?' "'I asked him. "'Not only have I heard about it, "'I was there,' replied Tanner. "'Tanner agreed to be interviewed,' and gave me a list of names to chase up. Some of the student ringleaders had gone on to become public figures, and to my surprise, many of them were happy to be interviewed. I found myself a professional cinematographer, hired a sound recordist, and began filming. The material we captured was gold, but what I really needed was an interview with the man himself, Malcolm Fraser. If I could get that, surely I could convince Screen Australia to throw me some money, or maybe get the likes of the ABC to commission my film. In addition to moonlighting as a filmmaker and freelance journo, I was also volunteering for a digital democracy startup called Our Say. As fortune would have it, they were hosting an event in which Malcolm Fraser would be interviewed by his biographer, Margaret Simons and it was my job to help video it. I found myself in Fraser's office, alongside Simon's prepping Fraser for the event. It was on one of the upper floors of a skyscraper, with sweeping views of the Melbourne CBD. At the end of the meeting, I seized my opportunity to tell Fraser about my documentary, and seek his participation. I wasn't sure what his reaction would be. He didn't exactly have much to gain from a documentary about one of the most humiliating moments of his political career. But, to my surprise, he was willing to let me go forth on the understanding that he was willing to participate in the project. Things were about to get real. On the strength of his verbal endorsement, I set up a meeting with the Vice-Chancellor of Monash Uni, an English neuroscientist by the name of Edward Byrne. I was seeking access to the campus to film the scene of the crime, and maybe, just maybe, I might be able to squeeze some money out of him. He seemed enthusiastic, and I left feeling confident about bringing my first feature documentary into fruition. But as the weeks passed, things started to get weird. Burns' office sent a missive walking back his initial enthusiasm. Not long after, I received a terse email from Fraser, effectively reneging on his verbal endorsement. It was a punch to the guts. I've always been disorganised, ever since I was a little kid. I suspect I've got ADHD, but everyone seems to be saying that these days. Every festive season, I leave my Christmas shopping to the last minute. This particular Christmas Eve was quite warm, as they tend to be in the Southern Hemisphere. I was in the CBD, darting from store to store, desperately trying to find presents for my five nieces and nephews. A figure caught my eye as it bustled down the opposite side of Flinders Lane. He was wearing a suit, which seemed odd considering the weather. He was on the same mission as I, and was laden with last-minute gifts. It was the Vice-Chancellor. Professor Byrne, Merry Christmas. Do you remember me? I'm the documentary guy making a film about the besieging of Malcolm Fraser at your university. Professor Byrne looked visibly uncomfortable. Fraser, he explained, had called him up and had given him a dreadful dressing down. He felt like he had no choice but to distance himself from me. Fraser must have changed his mind and had decided to pull the rug from under me. I've never considered myself to be particularly tough or persistent, but I was angry, angry enough to enter a battle of wills with one of the toughest and most ruthless politicians our nation has ever seen. We're talking about the man who, as leader of the opposition, Used the Senate to effectively starve the country of money until the Governor General stepped in, sacked the Whitlam government, and installed Fraser as caretaker Prime Minister. The guy clearly knew how to play chicken, but I had nothing to lose. I decided to keep pursuing Fraser. A hard nosed journalist friend of mine told me to play hardball with Fraser. I wasn't so sure. Fraser was old school. He kind of reminded me of a character from a Dickens novel. Six foot three inches of waistcoat and necktie. It was almost as though he hailed from a time when disagreements were settled at ten paces. I needed to be persistent while treading carefully. I needed to remain respectful without coming across as weak. I wrote an article for The Age and the Sydney Morning Herald. ...telling the story behind my film. You can find it online. It's called Once Were Campus Warriors. I was sending a message to Fraser. You need to take me seriously. This doco is going to get made with or without you. Every now and then I would send him an email... ...telling him how filming is progressing. I was at pains to make it clear... ...that I wanted the film to be balanced and that without his participation, it wouldn't be. One day, I sent him an assembly of some of the material I'd shot. A week or so later, I received an email from Fraser's office, asking me to call him and providing me with a phone number. Next thing I knew, Fraser's gravelly baritone filled my ear, with a stern criticism of the material I'd sent him. The conversation ended with him saying that he was steadfast in his decision to distance himself from the film. But Fraser was saying one thing with his words, and quite another with his actions. He was clearly invested. Shortly after my article was published, I got an email from someone close to Fraser who I met for coffee at the European on Spring Street. They'd been there with Fraser on the day in 1976, when he was trapped at Monash Uni. They were wary of the project, and I understood why. I was at pains to explain that I wasn't out to do a hatchet job, and eventually they agreed to be interviewed. I also got someone else who was close to Fraser to sit down for an interview. I conducted these interviews under the assumption that my conduct would be reported back to Fraser. But I didn't feel as though I had much to fear. I didn't just want to tell a story about a PM supposedly seeking refuge in the Dunnies. I wanted to tell a bigger story. One about Australia, political tribes and the legacy of a controversial Prime Minister. This is the impression that I wanted Fraser to get when word filtered back to him, because it was the truth. I was driving a car share Hyundai down Collins Street when I received a call from Fraser's office. Mr Fraser would like to speak to you, said the voice. All right, great. I'm um, driving at the moment. Would it be okay if I called him back in a bit? Mr Fraser would like to speak to you Now. I swerved into a loading zone and took the call. Fraser proceeded to give me another telling off about something he could only have known about from one of the people I'd interviewed. It was a shot across the bow. A few days later, I received an email from Fraser's office, offering me an interview. I'd been chasing Fraser for at least a year. Or maybe it was two. I can't really remember. I do, however, remember the sleepless nights. I'd developed an unhealthy reliance on Valium to help me get to sleep. But my persistence had paid off. I'd locked horns with the former Prime Minister and had gotten what I wanted. But I still needed hundreds of thousands of dollars of investment to pay for licensing, post-production, legal fees and marketing. However, I figured I had a great story and a good product. Surely Screen Australia or the ABC would be willing to throw some coin my way. Little did I know that the real battle had just begun. The next episode is about me trying to navigate the murky world of film finance. Completing the film has been a very difficult process, but I learnt a lot along the way, and I'd like to share that with you. I think it's important that filmmakers share their stories with each other, and maybe you'd like to share yours with me. I'm not just looking for people to come on the show. I wanna have off-the-record chats with other screen practitioners, just to hear their stories and maybe deepen my own knowledge. I'd really love to hear from you. My email is gary at unfuckthefilmindustry.com.au And if you're picking up what I'm putting down, please subscribe to this podcast and join our mailing list. You can join the mailing list by visiting unfuckthefilmindustry.com.au Thanks for listening.